Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are a God who wishes to communicate with us, who wishes to reveal yourself to us. And so we thank you for the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And we thank you uh, for your word to us in the Bible. I thank you that in my hand I can hold God's word and I can read words authored by the Holy Spirit. Uh, And so, Heavenly Father, I pray as we read from Matthew chapter 12, would you pour out the Holy Spirit to help us understand, to help us grow, um, to inspire us of the power and the love of Jesus Christ, and also to teach us how to follow his example. Come, Holy Spirit, move in this time now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we read Matthew 11, verses 20 to 30 together, and we saw, verse 28, that wonderful invitation from Jesus Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I guess we were challenged to respond to that invitation. We are to be humble like little children, to come to Jesus who has all power and all authority, to come to him who is gentle and lowly in heart. It's a wonderful invitation for us to respond to. And in Jesus' day and age, when he was preaching this message and, and bringing these invitations, people would respond to him. People would come to him. However, although some people listened and responded to his message, there were also many people who ignored him, who ignored his message. And there were others who rejected Jesus' message and hated him. In particular, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders and teachers of the day, really did not like Jesus. Jesus often criticised the Pharisees and often disagreed with the Pharisees' interpretation of the Old Testament. And so Jesus was a threat to the Pharisees and they were deeply unhappy with him. And in Matthew chapter 12, the passage that we're going to read, the confrontation, the opposition of the Pharisees comes to the fore. This is a chapter all about the Pharisees seeking to accuse and ultimately to kill Jesus Christ because of how much they hate what he is doing and teaching in his life. We're going to read, as I say, verses 1 to 14 of Matthew chapter 12. And in those verses, the opposition of the Pharisees is all about the Sabbath day. Sabbath means rest, and God in the Old Testament gave a rest day to the Israelites. On Saturdays, they were to cease doing work and were to rest in God, to worship and prioritise God and and to not do any work. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that at the end of Matthew 11, Jesus is speaking about being the one who gives rest. Come to me and I will give you rest, he says. And then in chapter 12, we have two stories about Sabbath, about resting. And what we see in these two stories is that Jesus really is one who wants to give us rest. He wants the Sabbath to be restful. But the Pharisees have made observing the Sabbath into a work. They are so caught up in interpreting what it means to stop working that they've created and interpreted all these different rules about the Sabbath. And so observing the Sabbath, having a rest day, wasn't restful at all. It was about working through all these different ways in which one must rest. 
So Jesus is shown to be the one who does give true rest in Matthew chapter 12. And the Pharisees are shown to be a people who stop rest and force people to labour and work even on the Sabbath through their detailed and complex interpretations of the law. Well, let's read this together. Uh, and what I'm going to do is something I don't often do when I preach, um, but because this is an evening sermon, um, I thought I'd do something slightly different. I'm going to read a verse, and then I'm going to comment on it. So read a verse and then comment on it, and take us through these 14 verses together. So let's read Matthew 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the cornfields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck ears of corn and to eat. It's the Sabbath day, it's a Saturday, it's a day of rest, and Jesus and his disciples decide to go on a countryside walk, walking through the corn fields. And as they walk, the disciples are a little bit peckish, they're obviously using energy to walk along, and so they decide to just pick some of the corn um, as they go and eat to refuel themselves and to keep them nourished and going on this walk. Now, what they're doing is perfectly legal. If you or me went into a farmer's field today and just started picking and eating their crop, that would be theft, that would be stealing. The law of our land does not allow that. But the Old Testament Israelite law did allow that. Deuteronomy 23 verse 25 says that um, a person can't you know, take a sickle and start to really reap and harvest someone else's crop. That's unacceptable. But they can take food with their hands when they're hungry. It's actually an amazing commandment in the Old Testament because it's a command all about providing for those who were poor, those who were hungry, those who were in desperate need of food. That's why the law was given. It was so the poor, the hungry, the orphans and the widows who didn't have fields to grow their own corn could, you know, take food from the day from farmers who had lots of land and lots of wealth. This is exactly what Ruth does. If you know the story of Ruth, uh, Ruth's husband dies. She becomes a widow and she goes with her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to the land of Israel. And in the land of Israel, Ruth says, well, why don't I go to nearby farmland and take some food. She's she's putting into practice this law that was given. She's a widow. Her and Naomi have no source of in, income and so Ruth goes to a field to pluck food as she is allowed to do and of course there she meets Boaz who is a man full of compassion and care for her who, who gives her even more than she asks for and ultimately ends up marrying her and it's this wonderful story of Boaz's compassion and love for Ruth. This widow is redeemed and and saved. But the story starts really with just knowing that Israelite law lets someone who's poor and hungry pick food from a nearby field. And so I love I love it. I love that this is part of the law. It, it shows that God really does have a heart for those who are most needy in society. So this is what Jesus and his disciples are doing, walking through the cornfields and the disciples picking and eating food. Well, let's see how the Pharisees respond to that in verse 2. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. 
The Pharisees knew that you were allowed to pick corn with your hands from someone else's field. They don't have a problem with that. But what they do have a problem with is the disciples doing this on the Sabbath, on the day of rest. How dare they pick food from a farmer's field on the day of rest? They say that it's not lawful for the disciples to do this. But they're wrong. They're wrong. The Old Testament law does not prohibit a person taking food with their hands from a field when they're hungry on the Sabbath day. What, what the law prohibits is doing work on the Sabbath. So if the farmer was in that field and he was cutting down, harvesting his corn, working in order to then sell that corn and make money, that would be wrong. That would be breaking the Sabbath. He has six days to do his farming work and one day to rest. But it is a matter of interpretation whether taking food from a farmer's field as you walk through it is work. And this is what the Pharisees have decided. They've, in, they've said that to do any picking of food is work and therefore what the disciples are doing is unlawful. But that's not what the law said. That's how they've interpreted the law. And in fact, just personally, I, I kind of fundamentally disagree with the Pharisees' interpretation of the law. Me and Rachel often will go for a walk on a Sunday afternoon and Rachel in particular loves to pick bits of food. If we walk past a, a blackberry, it is being picked. Rachel loves to pick food. We don't consider that work. It's a fun thing to do. It's a restful thing to do. It's relaxing. It's enjoyable. When it's sunny weather to go on a nice countryside walk and, and to pick blackberries is a fun, restful thing to do. I don't just disagree with the Pharisees' interpretation of the law. I also think their interpretation is uncharitable, unloving, and hits the poor the hardest. Of all the people who are likely to be picking food from someone else's field on the Sabbath day, it is the poor and the hungry who are likely to be doing it. And so the Pharisees' harsh interpretation and application of the Sabbath day law hurts the poor the most. You know, maybe Jesus's, Jesus and his disciples could stand up for themselves against the Pharisees. But imagine if it was someone desperate for food walking through this field, starving, famished, hadn't eaten for several days, and they come to this field and they start picking corn and eating. And the Pharisees come along and say, you're doing something unlawful on the Sabbath. How dare you stop immediately? Do you see how the Pharisees' application of the law is just so uncaring for the hungry in their society? Jesus, time and time again throughout the Gospels, is shown as one who loves and cares for the most needy in society. Jesus loves the poor. And so Jesus is going to fight the Pharisees on their interpretation. He's going to defend his disciples. He's fighting for the justice of those who are poorest in Israelite society. Let's look at what he says in verses 3 and 4. Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for 
the priests. Jesus remembers a moment in Israelite history where King David really did break the law, explicitly broke something that was written in the Old Testament law. David was fleeing from King Saul. David was the anointed king from God, but Saul was the current king and Saul wanted to kill David. And so David was fleeing. And of course, when you're fleeing, it's very difficult to have enough food. You, you don't have your own fields to go and pick from and you've taken all that you can carry. But in reality, you're going to run out. And so David and his followers have run out of food and they come to the temple and they ask desperately. They're famished. They're desperate for food. Please help us. How are the priests going to interpret the law? The only bread they have is the bread of the presence. Twelve loaves of bread baked and offered every single day to represent the twelve tribes of Israel. And since they were an offering to God, only the priests were legally allowed to eat this bread. But here in front of them is a man anointed by God and his followers who are desperately hungry. And what did the priests do? They showed compassion and love to David and his followers and they brought the bread and gave it to David. They chose to be merciful, loving and caring rather than observe the letter of the law. They could have been pharisaical about it and said, absolutely not. You must go hungry. We will not give you the bread, for it is against the law to give you the bread. But instead they said, you're hungry. You need this. Come and eat. It is an Old Testament principle that the Pharisees missed, that mercy and kindness was always more important than observing to the letter the law that God gave. Even though Jesus and his disciples haven't actually broken the law, Jesus shows the Pharisees, or tries to show the Pharisees, why their interpretation is so heartless and unkind, but also not even biblical, not even right. Jesus continues his argument in verse 5. He says this, Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Have you not noticed in the Old Testament that while everybody else rests, the priests work on the Sabbath day? You know, just like pastors work on Sundays while other people tend to have the day off, the priests in the Old Testament temple had to do their job on the Sabbath day, on the Saturday, in order to serve the people. And and Jesus says they are working on the Sabbath, but they are not guilty. They are guiltless. There needs to be flexibility in regards to our interpretation of how to observe a Sabbath, Jesus is saying. Because this is a gift from God to rest. And so the priest should rest on other days. The priests work on the Sabbath so that everyone else can rest. And then they take their rest at other times during the week. Now, let's read verses 6 to 8 and see the culmination of the argument Jesus is putting together. I tell you, says Jesus, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, 
I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Two ideas are being intertwined by Jesus in verses 6 to 8. The first idea is this. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. That's a quote from the Old Testament, by the way. So something God said in the Old Testament. And when God said that, what he was saying was the most important part of being a follower of God is showing mercy, love and compassion to other people. Or perhaps the second most important thing, the most important thing is to love God with all your heart. And the second most important commandment is to love your neighbour as yourself. And God's saying, I desire mercy, love, compassion towards others, more than I desire sacrifice, more than I desire the letter of the law being observed. Now, the Jews were still to offer animal sacrifices. The Jews were still to obey that part of the law, but not at the expense of mercy and love and care for people. God desires mercy more than he desires sacrifice. God desires us to show love to others more more than the Jews were to observe the letter of the law. The heart of the law, the mercy of the law, the care and compassion of the law was more important and trumped the letter of the law. That's what it means when God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So Jesus says to the Pharisees, you have completely missed this part, this crucial part of reading the Old Testament. Your forbidding of hungry people picking corn in a field demonstrates that you care more about the letter of the law than you really care for caring for people. And that is a very, very bad thing. But the second idea that's intertwined with this idea is the most important point of the passage. What Jesus does is emphasise his superiority and his glory and his authority in comparison to all the things he's just referenced. He says, doesn't he, something greater than the temple is here. He's speaking about himself. He's saying, He's saying the priests are allowed to work in the temple on the Sabbath day and something greater than the temple is here. So if the priests are allowed to work in the temple, then surely I, as the one who is greater than the temple, can do what I choose to do on the Sabbath day. And in fact, the whole passage is full of comparisons that reveal Jesus's superiority. He compares himself to David. And as he compares himself to David, what he's doing is saying David was king of Israel. And he made this decision, and he was quite right to do so. And I am greater than David, for I am David's descendant, the messianic king who was to come. I am the king of all Israel, and therefore I am allowed to make decisions about what happens on the Sabbath day. You You don't have authority. The law doesn't even have authority over me, for I am the Messiah. I am the king. He speaks about priests. And Jesus is saying, I am greater than the priest. In fact, I am the great high priest. 
Jesus was a king in that he rules over the kingdom of heaven, but he was also a priest in that his job is to bring us into the presence of God to worship him. That's what priests do, is they they um, allow, they create space for people to worship God. Well, that's what Jesus did. He died on the cross so that all who have faith in him might come into the presence of God and worship him and bring him praise. So Jesus is a king and he's a priest, but he's greater than the priests in the temple. He's the great high priest, it says in the book of Hebrews. He died once for all. He, he was his own sacrifice. He didn't sacrifice animals. He, he offered himself as a sacrifice once for all so that we might be forgiven and enter into the presence of God. So Jesus is superior to David. He is superior to the priests. He is greater than the temple. He is the thing that is greater than the temple. He is the son of man, he calls himself in verse uh, in verse uh, 8. He calls himself the Son of Man. And that's a reference to Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, God gives all authority and all dominion to one like a Son of Man. Jesus is saying, I am that Son of Man. Jesus often called himself the Son of Man in reference to Daniel 7. He's saying, I'm the one to whom God has given all power and authority. That, of course, is what he's just said in chapter 11. God the Father has given all things to me, he says in chapter 11. And here he calls himself the Son of Man, linking those two things together with Daniel 7. He, he, I'm the one with all authority. I'm the one with all power. Everything's been given to me. I'm the Son of Man. And therefore, because I'm the Son of Man, because I'm the one with all dominion and authority, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And that can mean two things. It can mean that Sabbath is a gift given to men. And men decide how they should observe Sabbath rather than Sabbath ruling over men. But I think, more importantly, it means this. Jesus has supreme authority. He is Lord of the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees have no right to tell his disciples how they should observe the Sabbath. They have no right to argue with Jesus Christ. He understands better than anyone how to observe the Sabbath, and he is Lord over it. So even the Lord does not really shadow over Jesus because Jesus can do what he pleases as the king. Now I reiterate, Jesus doesn't break the law even though the Pharisees accuse him of breaking the law. That's why he says several times, we are guiltless. He says to the Pharisees in verse 7, you have condemned the guiltless. We are without guilt. We have done nothing wrong. But he not only defends himself in these verses, he also shows himself to be gloriously powerful. He's greater than David. He's greater than the priest. He's greater than the temple. He's the son of man to whom all dominion and authority belong. And he's Lord of the Sabbath. He's answering the accusations against him. And yet he, he's doing more than that, isn't he? He's revealing his supreme power and authority. Let's move on to the second story then. Another accusation from the Pharisees that concerns the Sabbath day. Let me read verses 9 to 10. Jesus went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? The Pharisees this time bring a question about is what is lawful on the Sabbath. 
is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day, they ask. That question reveals the coldness of the Pharisees' heart, doesn't it? In two ways. Firstly, because they ask that question in order to accuse Jesus. It's a question designed to get Jesus into a trap so that they can accuse him and arrest him and get rid of him, throw him in jail. And so that shows their coldness. They're not really asking a question. They're, they're trying to trap Jesus and to get rid of him. They have such cold hearts. But it also shows the coldness of heart because the implication is the Pharisees think it's not okay to heal on the Sabbath. Presumably their argument would go something like this. If someone's a doctor, then doing doctor's work is their job and they're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So, um, so doctors can't work on the Sabbath and we can't heal people on the Sabbath. It's a ridiculous argument, by the way. We have hospitals that quite rightly are open and running on a Sunday in case people get ill and need, need to be looked after. The Pharisees seem to imply that they think that that is wrong and that it's not even right to heal someone on the Sabbath. So that, that question just shows how cold-hearted the Pharisees really are. How does Jesus respond? Let's have a look at verses 11 and 12. Jesus said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Healing is a good thing, isn't it? You know, we've rejoiced over healings in our church. It's amazing when God does a miracle and heals someone. And so really what the Pharisees are asking is a really stupid question. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? That's what they're asking. If healing's good, they're saying, is it lawful to do something that's good on the Sabbath? That's just an astonishing question because it shows just how much they hated this man who had a withered hand. Oh, we're not going to look after him. We're not going to heal him. How could we? It's the Sabbath. We've got to rest. And so what Jesus does is shame the Pharisees with this response. He talks about sheep. And he says, if a sheep falls into a, a ditch on the Sabbath day, of course you're going to go and get the sheep out. You're not going to leave the sheep where it is for an entire 24 hours in order to observe the Sabbath rules. How much more valuable is this man with a withered hand than your sheep? How can you ask such a heartless, cold question? He really is shaming the Pharisees in terms of their lack of love for this man. What Jesus says, of course, is that all humans have great value. How much more valuable is a man than a sheep. And Jesus shows by the way he conducts himself and the way he treats others that he considers all people to have great, great value. And so I want, you, I want you to know this. Every single one of you watching, Jesus, who is God, values you. He values you. You are far more valuable than a sheep. Far more valuable. And I want you to know this, especially if you need healing today. 
if you're hurting, if you're feeling ill, if you've got an affliction which is pulling you down, cramping your style, um, causing, causing you pain. Jesus values you. Jesus cares about you. You can pray for healing. And God might move miraculously and heal you. That has happened. We've seen that happen. If he doesn't do that, if Jesus does care for you, you know he's doing what's best for you. And so God has some purpose in what you're going through right now. It might feel seem difficult right now, but God has a purpose in it. He cares for you. He values you. You have great value in the eyes of Christ. And so your suffering and pain is not for nothing. You know, sometimes we just need to hear that very simple message. Jesus values you. He values every person, just like he values this man with a withered hand. And so how does Jesus then act in response to this man? Verses 12 to 14. Uh, sorry, verses 13 to 14. Then Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against Jesus how to destroy him. Jesus values this man and he has compassion on this man. And as he stretches out his hand, the hand that was withered is restored to full health just like the other hand. And what's particularly remarkable about this miracle is that Jesus does it even though he knows it will cost him his life. It's this miracle in Matthew's Gospel which is, is shown to be the point when the Pharisees said, okay, he's healed on the Sabbath, now we need to destroy him. We need to destroy him. He's healed on the Sabbath. And Jesus knew that. As he was healing this man, he knew that Doing this would put him in the bad books of the Pharisees. That's amazing to think about, is that Jesus loved this man so much, he was prepared to heal him, even though he knew it would potentially cost him his life. We know how this story progresses. The Pharisees seek to kill Jesus, and they ultimately succeed, handing him over to the Romans. He is crucified on the cross. Healing this man costs Jesus his life. In a far greater way, providing the spiritual healing that we need cost Jesus his life. That's what the Bible teaches us, that Jesus died on the cross not for his own sin, but for our sin. We all needed healing. We didn't have withered hands necessarily, but we had decrepit and crooked hearts that weren't godly, that weren't worshipful, that weren't loving, that weren't caring. And Jesus died in order to heal us, that we might be forgiven and that our hearts might be changed so that all who put their faith in Jesus can enter into eternal life where healing will be completely unnecessary because all pain and disease will be gone and death will have come to an end. It is for our healing that Jesus gave his life. Jesus gave his life to, hit, to save this man, to heal his withered hand and to save this man, but he also gave his life to save us and to heal us from the sin that was ruining our lives. 
The compassion that Jesus shows here is the same compassion that takes him to the cross. You know, even when he was being arrested, Jesus could have called a, called a legion of angels to come and free him so that he didn't have to die on the cross. He had that much power and authority, and yet he chose not to because he chose to die because he loved us. And so you have this great contrast at the beginning of Matthew chapter 12. You have the cold-hearted, hateful Pharisees who are trying to trap Jesus, who ultimately want to kill Jesus, who don't want to provide food for those who are hungry, who don't want to heal the man with a withered hand. And then you have Jesus, who is the opposite. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Son of Man. He's greater than David. He's greater than the priest. He's greater than the temple. He's a man of awesome power. And yet he's using that power to fight for the poor, to defend his disciples, and to heal this one man with a withered hand. Isn't it amazing? The love and compassion of Jesus Christ shown in these stories. And so as I draw to a close, I want to bring three really important teachings out of this text into our lives. Firstly, there are some of us who need to repent of having cold hearts like the Pharisees. We need to confess that we have not loved those who are poorest and those who are most needy in our society. In fact, perhaps in some ways, we've tried to keep them out and held them at arm's length. You know, I wonder how you would react if the poorest in society, the homeless people in society started turning up to church on a Sunday, started joining in with our Zoom calls if they were able to do that. I wonder whether you'd be filled with joy that these people were meeting with Jesus, coming to Jesus, responding to the gospel, or, or whether you'd be, you know, really upset about it because, you know, now Sundays are much more difficult and, and a challenge for, because people who are needy bring with them baggage because they've been hurt by society. They need to be loved and cared for. And often that love and care is costly to the others in the church. Many of us, including myself, need to just repent and say, I have a, I've had a cold heart towards those who are needy. I've been more like the Pharisees in Matthew 12 than like Jesus. Let's be warm-hearted. Let's be tender. Let's be compassionate. Let's care for others. And so that's my second thing that I want to draw out of this passage. Let us do good even if it hurts us. Jesus healed this man even though it ultimately led to his death. And we too need to do good to others even if it's very, very costly. And, you know, helping people is costly. It takes time and energy. It's often inconvenient to help people. And quite often, human beings choose the easy way out. You know, the thing that doesn't cost them very much. If they're rich, they give a little bit of money because it doesn't hurt to lose the money. But it's much more loving to do the thing that's inconvenient and really costly. To give up a large chunk of time to go and help someone to do their shopping for them, or, or to buy them lunch or food, or, or to go out of your way to find shelter for someone. That's what we must do. If we want to be Christ-like, we need to help people even when it's costly. I want to invite you to pray, actually. Now, just quietly, briefly in your heart, Lord, how can I serve someone this week? And actually, I'd encourage you to pray, Lord, make it inconvenient. 
make it make it hard for me. I want to do something that really blesses someone else in a Christ-like way, even though it's inconvenient and hard. Pray for that opportunity. And I, and I ask that God would give you inspiration, show you who, who needs to be served, show you who needs to be loved, and you would go and be obedient to whatever God calls you to do. So we need to repent of cold hearts. We need to do good, even if it's costly. Thirdly and finally and most importantly, I want Matthew 12 to give us a fresh vision of the authority and compassion of Jesus. That's what this passage is really about. Yes, we need to follow Jesus' example. But if you always read the Bible looking for the example to follow, then you're missing the main point. The main point is just about how glorious Jesus is. He's so superior. He's greater than David. He's greater than the priest. He's greater than the temple. He's the son of man and he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's powerful and mighty and authoritative and worthy of our praise. But he's also so compassionate, isn't he? He loves his disciples and he's quite happy for them to take food as he goes on a countryside walk with them. He cares for the poor who are going to miss out because of the Pharisees misinterpreting the Old Testament law. And he cares for this man with a withered hand. This, these passages beautifully bring together the awesome authority and the tender compassion of Jesus Christ. And I, this is something that I reflect on often. It comes out often in the Bible. The way Jesus can do all things and has all power, who is worthy of all our worship, and yet he uses that position of authority and great power to serve others, to love them, to care for them. And I love it. I've said this, I've used this metaphor before, but Jesus is the great wave of the ocean that crashes against the cliffs and breaks the rocks. He's powerful and mighty, but he's also the gentle waters, the gentle trickle of a stream that washes and clothes and and calms a person. He is both powerful and compassionate. He is therefore worthy of great praise, great adoration. He's worthy to be called the Son of Man. He's worthy to be called the Lord of the Sabbath. He's worthy to be called our King. Lord Jesus, you are our King and we love you. We love you for your power, but we also love you for your great compassion. Thank you for the compassion that you have shown to us. Let's pray. Let's worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's repent of our cold hearts. Let's do good to others, even when it's costly. And let's worship the glorious Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we love you. You are so great and magnificent. Thank you for the power to heal this man's hand. Thank you for the the authority to rebuke the Pharisees. But thank you also that you're the God of the poor, the God of the needy, who cares for those who are hungry, who cares for those who need healing. Thank you for your care for us, Lord. I pray you demonstrate power and compassion by healing those who are watching now, Lord God. Bring healing into the homes of all those who are watching. Lord, I also pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth that you would pour out your holy spirit and change us lord we we confess that sometimes we have been unloving we have been cold-hearted change us warm up our hearts lord light a fire under our hearts that gives us the warm tender compassion of you lord jesus so that we might love like you have loved that we might care like you have cared that we might go and not be like the pharisees at all but rather be like our savior jesus christ we pray these things in jesus name Amen.